Chapter 28, Mr. Wicker's Window by Carly Dawson. This is a LibriVox recording. All LibriVox recordings are in the public domain. This recording is by Arthur Piantadosi. Chris and Amos lay bellying down on a low clump of pine scrub at the top of a precipitous rocky pinnacle. Below them in the blistering noon lay the plowless walls of the Lord of Seven Seas, descendant of the sun and moon, overlord of the mountains and the plains, prince of all the isles, father of plenty and brilliance before which all cast down their eyes, the emperor of China. The two boys were uninterested in titles. Somewhere within that city, within a city, inside the enormous spread of the palace walls that were unsurrounded, in their turn by the city of Peking, lay the goal they had come so far to seek, the jewel tree of the Princess of China. Now, like a general planning his campaign, Chris lay looking down at the high angular walls, thinking of how he would gain entry. On regaining the Mirabelle and a boat made for the magic rope, Chris had reappeared among his friends, recovered from his fever. He had given much thought to what he considered would be the last dangerous section of the journey, and after listening to what his master said through the shell, was permitted to take Amos on this stage of the voyage. It was reasoned if something happened to Chris, Amos might be able to carry out their mission by himself. The boys had come to Peking on camelback, a camel made from the magic rope. As Amos had never seen a real camel, he thought the rope animal quite natural, and as remarkable a creature as the real one. Chris took care to make it or disentangle it out of Amos's sight, and so many were the strange and wonderful things to be seen that Amos had no time to concern himself over the reality of a camel. The arid countryside was blanched by its excessive heat. Flies droned over the dates and figs that the boys pulled from their pockets to eat. Amos wriggled with excitement as he pointed out details to Chris. Chris, look at that procession going down to the big gate. All those pigtailed gentlemen dressed in embroidered coats. I like that blue one with butterflies on it. No, I'd soon have that black one, satin one with the dragon on red and yellow. He looked again more closely. Oh, that one with the peacock and green and purple. Which would you soon have? Chris paid little attention to Amos's exclamations. Leaning on his elbows and looking at the scene below, his mind worked busily on those last vital problems. But Amos was not waiting for an answer. His mind was on the present moment and the present scene, forgetful of what lay ahead of them a few hours away. He chattered on. I like their funny black hats and droopy mustaches. Why don't they look like us, Tris? he asked. And then, who all's in the cut and stretcher they're carrying? It's a pelican, Amos. They carry dignitaries in them. Hate to be a dignitary in all this heat, Amos said unenviously. What are they doing now? He inquired, and both boys parted the prickly pine needles to look out and down. The later of the procession wrapped three times on a great date with his gold staff. Sentinels and guards came forward, walking on the broad gate top, and after talking with the members of the procession, turned to give an order. Gaily dressed trumpeters with dragon masks on the visors of their helmets raised brass trumpets, a long throbbing Way ho! shuddered out, and the great outer gates of the palace, studded with flooded on spikes of carved metal, swung slowly outward. Sixteen men came into sight, eight on either side, pushing wide the gates. Gee, imagine the weight of those doors, Chris murmured, and taking out his spyglass, through it. Golly Moses! he exclaimed. 
Take a look, Amos. Those gates are made of bronze. Nearly three feet thick. And now they have the gates open. Look at the depth of the walls. They're as deep through as a room. The waiting procession, the richly dressed courtiers and curtain palakin, moved inside and the gates were slowly pulled closed by lines of men dragging at ropes and chains to shut them. And within the main gate drifted out the sound, becoming fainter and fainter, of other trumpets sounding the order for the opening of other gates. Ten times, the boy counted, the trumpets blew, the same, Why, whoa, throbbed against the sultry air. Lousy me, Amos sighed, when no more trumpets were to be heard. Ten walls and ten gates at the very least. Cause we don't know. He rolled his worried eyes toward Chris. We don't know whether those folks got to the Emperor or not. Likely he's in behind a couple more walls, just beyond the safe side. He searched his friend's face. How are we going to get past all that many guards and trumpets, Chris? Even if we could tie up a guard or two, how in the world are we going to push open gates that heavy? Amos need not have been so concerned, for Chris had a good plan. But just at that moment, the heat overcame Chris. Putting his head down in his arms, he slept. Amos slept, too, and it must have been several hours later that the rising sound of a crowd, talking and laughing with excitement, penetrated their sleep and brought them to consciousness. For a moment, they both lay rubbing their eyes and peering out. Then they realized, by the growing crowd on either side of the palace gate and along the narrow street leading away from it, that something of importance was come, uh, to come from the palace and parade through the streets of Peking. Wonder what's going on? Chris muttered as the crowds below swelled and grew. Boys climbed upon and on another's shoulders. Teakwood stools were brought for the richer people to stand on, and along the street that led away to the right around the palace walls, Chris and Amos could see embroidered silks hung from all the windows, and Chinese people in their best holiday clothes laughing excitedly. All were looking toward the gates, and at last, from far within, even more distantly than before, came the first sounds of trumpets. Dun -do -dun -do -do. These had a sweeter, cleaner sound than those the boys had heard at noon. Never heard a sweet uh, tone, Amos said. Might be a way of silver, way they sound. The boys counted in twelve times the low, lovely voice in the air. Twelve gates? I said Amos, and look, you were right, they are silver trumpets. The trumpeteers atop the great hour gates were now differently dressed, and there were not two but a dozen lined along the deep palace walls. The trumpets, ten feet long, were curved, and of silver that in the sunlight dazzled the eye. As they were blown, the final gates were pushed aside. A long procession emerged of such fantasy and variety of color that the two boys were spellbound. Elephants and camels, llamas and horses, all richly capricioned in eastern silks, passed along with their riders. Guards with curved swords and many thonged whips formed a double edge behind those in the procession and the bystanders. Still others led leopards and black panthers on chains as an added protection to those they guarded. Palanquin after palanquin passed by, but still the crowd seemed to be waiting for something. Then, as the silver trumpets continued their sweet, lingering notes, a murmur aroused from the crowd. Four lines of youths preceded a palanquin more firmly decked than all the rest. 
The murmur rose. After it came four lines of Chinese girls, fanning the air with peacock fans on long staves, fans of white egret feathers and ostrich plumes dyed a yellow gold. Amos, Chris breathed, that color. Yellow is the color of China. He did not have to elaborate his thought, for the palanquin that finally came in sight showed by its richness that it could belong only to royalty, and by its beauty and grace only to a woman, made of silver and rock crystals studded with diamonds and pearls and hung about with sheer curtains of embroidered yellow silk. The palanquin belonged without doubt to a young girl of the royal house. As it appeared under the high arch of the outer gate, a roar of joy and greeting rose from the waiting crowd, and with one accord every man bowed low, covering his eyes with the wide sleeve of his left arm. The women and girls in the crowd, and those leaning from the upper stories of the houses, threw down before the palanquin objects flashed and twinkled in the sun. Remembering in time, for he had been so much absorbed, he had momentarily forgotten it. Chris whipped out his spyglass and looked at the curtains of the palanquin. The thin silt was transparent enough under the strong focus of the glass, and behind it Chris could perceive, leaning delicately against silk cushions, a Chinese girl, as beautiful as a dream. Her slightly up-tilted eyes were large and dark, her skin put in a magnolia flower to shame. Her mouth was lifted in a charming smile, and her long, exquisite finger held a spray of jeweled flowers. All about the palanquin rained a shower of jeweled buds and petals, for no doubt a real flower was thought too inferior for the only child of the descendant of the sun and moon. Prince of all the isles and the lord of the seven seas, the princess of China. End of chapter 28